0: Once upon a time, there was a young woman named Elise who wanted to see the entire world and all the stories within it. One day, she met a white rabbit who asked her to come along for a journey of discovery. Welcome to Elise in Wonderland.
1: Elise.
2: my name is Jean
1: we're the host of Elise in Wonderland this is a show for those curious about the world travel culture and new perspectives and today we have a guest on our show who has been here previously mm-hmm. um, the show's name is called uh, return of the Music King <laughs> Jamshed, as he shrugs his shoulders like, yeah, that makes sense. Um, We heard from Jamshed in a previous episode called India to Indiana, Mumbai to Dubai. Genius title. Uh, We learned that he speaks heaps of languages, and growing up in Dubai, spent nights as a kid watching TV to catch the late-night classical music show. This ultimately struck a chord in him, and he started finding ways to play and practice. After we first spoke, I was taken by his excitement for music, and we agreed on another show that explores Indian classical music and its influence on the West. And why not do live demos while we're at Ah. it? Welcome, Jamshed.
0: Thank you, Elise. Thank you, Jim. It's great to be here. Yeah, really lovely. I was just saying beforehand just to our listeners that um, I really enjoy listening to your shows. Like I find you guys bring great insights Mm -hmm. into um, just different perspectives from around the world and find ways to engage both the people who you're interviewing and then your audience respectively. And it's wonderful to be here.
1: Thank you so much. Thank you. Jin wasn't here for our last interview, mm-hmm. but um, we had a lot to talk about, and there was a lot of times where we had to play a song, and I was like, okay, are we going to get through <laughs> the next 30 minutes and cover everything we need to because you've had such an interesting life and so many interesting experiences to speak of. You're so eloquent. Maybe it comes from mm-hmm. your teaching background. <laughs> Teacher,
0: you know, I think it's partly the accent. I was told I can just get away with it. You anything. can say whatever like, you, you want. It sounds right? good. Uh, you know, I'm just, because you said Return up the Music and it got me thinking and I love music. <laughs>
3: <laughs> right. You might I hear think that's,
0: I think that's within the copyright re- uh, allowance. <laughs> oh yeah.
1: I think we're covered with yeah. the station. Yeah. <laughs> so throughout the show you might hear Jamshed um, jumping in and mm-hmm. playing bits of music on piano or violin yeah. as we talk about our topic and mm-hmm. uh, for those of you listening you can join us, ask questions on Through our Facebook page, we have a secret, secret (laughs) ultra-secret chat group, which you can (laughs) join. Uh, The Facebook page is at Elise1015.
2: You have to have a Facebook account.
1: Yes, join us (laughs) and let us know what you think and if you have questions for Jamshed along the way. Did we want to start with a quiz?
2: Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. okay.
1: So before we get into all the, heavy, the heaviness <laughs> oh, no. of music, um, we were all talking before the show started about mm-hmm. uh, all the things that we like, about the work that we do, and Jin said that he would like to be a teacher one day because he likes quizzing people. So we're going to start with a quiz.
0: Okay. I, I'm just going to preface this by saying you're quizzing a musician, all right? Lower your expectations. Okay.
2: okay. okay. Well,
1: unless it's about music.
2: <laughs> I picked out the easiest question I can have. <laughs> second, it doesn't sec- make me feel any better <laughs> by the way, right
0: now. hopefully
1: you get it right
2: <laughs> this one's easy apparently no sorry second hardest so um, there is a there are two doors the one door to the heaven one door to hell so you have to pick the door for heaven for sure there is a computer sorry <laughs> in front of the, each door so there is a one computer in front of the heaven door one computer in front of the hell door and you don't know which Doors are heaven or hell. And one of the computer is always answering opposite.
0: Mm -hmm. So it always tells you the opposite of what you want to know.
2: Yeah, so say, am I a male? The computer who says wrong, they will say no.
1: Oh God, this is gonna take a long time.
2: (laughs) No, 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 it's okay, (laughs) all right. Okay, you can only ask one question. You can only ask one question, um, answering yes or no, so they can tweak the answer, yes or no. What will be the question, and how do you find the um, heaven door? You want to find the
0: one to heaven, right? What Mm -hmm. does the other
1: computer do?
2: The other computer always
0: tells the truth. Yeah,
2: yeah, but you don't know which ones are true. You don't know
0: which one is which. Double negative makes a positive. So you ask which? You ask both computers which door (laughs) opens the door to hell. Yeah, and they will both tell you the wrong answer. Uh, They will both tell you the one that you're not supposed to go in. Right? Yeah. Which door does not yeah. <laughs> open the door to hell?
2: That, okay, yeah, that is yeah. exactly what it is. But do oh. you understand, at least?
3: Yeah. How double did you negative. come up with that? Yeah. Okay,
0: so my. Yeah, no, 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 right? It's, it's a double yeah, no. negative, yeah, makes a positive. That's brilliant. Right? That's
2: brilliant. So that's that's why you have to do it. So, how do you make a question then? What What would you ask to a computer?
0: Um, how would you ask? So double negative is what has to make a positive. So, so you, you would ask say, what which, is not the which door? door is not the door I need? Which door is not the door for heaven?
1: Wait, but can they only no. answer no, yes, or no? Yeah. No.
0: yes or no? Yeah. No, The
1: door on the left is not the door
0: So yeah, you have to, to say, you say yes or no question, right? Yes or right. no. So <laughs> is the door on the left not the door
2: to hell? No, so... The, um, because the computer that... But you have to pick the computer as well. Doesn't matter which computer. Yeah, both. You give the same answer? You will get the same answer. Um, that's a different answer I have.
1: What's your answer?
2: So my answer is, um, if you ask the other computer... Right. If left door is heaven door, what would, what would he or he she say?
1: You ask the computer to ask the other computer. Mm-hmm
2: right because
0: the one that's always lying will tell you what yeah. the wrong answer is right. the one that's saying the truth will tell you the one that the lie would say so yeah. that's your double negative okay, okay. <laughs> yeah good, good 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 that's the easy good. one seriously
1: <laughs> oh man
0: that, but that's a do good, i think i'm smarter I than i am kind of yeah, yeah it's a good one though i do like riddles i do mm-hmm. like riddles oh good one okay.
1: Jim. <laughs> so how do i transition into talking about?
0: <laughs> All right, let's, let's talk, talk, about, about, let's talk about something interesting. So
1: riddle me this. <laughs> yeah. What so is Indian, Indian classical music? It's
2: doors to India culture. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry.
0: Um, so Indian classical music, and... and
2: <laughs> Yes.
0: it's You know what? It's, it's interesting because I, I'll preface this entire talk by saying, I actually, I was... I always had a cursory interest in Indian classical music. It's uh, Because I was born in India, because I grew up in an Indian um, household, uh, I was exposed to it um, but most of my training has been Western classical training.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, my main interactions with Indian classical music was actually when I would play with other musicians in India and they quite often were trained in an Indian classical style.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and we were actually normally doing Western music, so um, or, or sometimes s- Bollywood music. See,
1: you got to see and compare and understand from the inside out differences, yes.
0: yeah, exactly. So literally, just working alongside, right, two other violinists who were mm-hmm. Indian classically trained, or working with a sitarist, or working with a harmonium player. Mm. Um, and we'd be making this music together. And and I, I'll actually start by saying one of the most amazing things and we'll talk later about some of the differences but one of the most amazing things is that there's almost nothing written down in indian mm-hmm. classical music mm. so it's it's primarily an oral tradition which meant that these guys who i was who i was playing with they learned everything orally mm-hmm. including all the western music that we were playing so we may be doing like a 90-minute symphony for them, reading the symphony was not really an option, because their reading skills just weren't that developed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they would actually learn the entire thing from memory, and they could wow. do it within like two or three plays.
1: This is before the advent of smartphones. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: exactly. Recordings, <laughs> but but huh. it actually used yeah. to be the case of that uh, because so many musicians were trained that way in Bollywood for for many years, Bollywood being the 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 Indian film industry specifically North Indian film industry mm. uh, the South India has a separate film industry um, but Bollywood for so many years the musicians who played on those didn't read music the way it would work is the director would come in the music director sorry would come in he'd have all the themes worked out in his head and he would literally just hum mm. the individual parts for the various people, Two people. Like,
1: yeah and they would remember it
0: and they would remember there. it in one, and what and they do it in one take or two takes right they do the entire three minute song he just hum it all the way through this is what i like to i mean there would be experimentation and they'd be trying things mm-hmm. but that mm. oral tradition of doing it is 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 a stark contrast to the very heavily notated mm-hmm. approach that we take generally in the west right um And of course, that 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 translates to so many elements of life there, which we can also talk about later. The spirituality, Mm -hmm. the practice of yoga, all of that is normally done through an oral tradition that's taught through a almost an apprenticeship like Mm. structure. That's actually
1: (laughs) that's interesting because there's a lot of there's a lot of components of spirituality in you know the day to day life. I think, and we'll talk about this a little bit later. But when I'm reading about um, George Harrison and why he was compelled to learn right. more about Indian music and about different religions and philosophies mm-hmm. other than what he had known in the Western world or in his Eurocentric world. Well, so much, world. right? So much yeah. in the
0: 50s and 1960s. The, the, um, there was a parallel between the liberation of the hippie movement, right? Right? And the exploration of Eastern philosophy the point where they actually became quite well equated right there was mm-hmm. there was actually an equation of eastern philosophy with the hippie movement which, which quite honestly bothered a lot of eastern philosophers i sure because the hippie movement <laughs> so was, was like also very much tied in with and drugs and hallucinogenics yeah. and, which yeah. is not at all part of eastern <laughs> philosophy
3: yeah
0: um but the the liberation of the mind and the idea of transcendental meditation, the ability mm-hmm. to transcend the material world that we're currently in.
1: Makes its way into philosophies of exactly, this music too. Exactly, at that time. So let's talk about the three components sure. of Indian classical music, lyrics, sound, and dance.
0: Why yeah. are those important? So Indian Indian classical music, the term that we have for Indian classical music in, in India is Sangeet, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, and for the most part, it, what I'm going to talk about is, is, um, applies to North and South Indian music. The North Indian music is Hindustani music, um, which is derived from the Mughal empires. From, mm-hmm. um, it, it does predate that, but certainly the earliest recollection we have of Hindustani music is from the Mughal empires uh, during the 12th, 13th, 14th centuries. And then around the 17th century mm-hmm. we see a divide 17th and 18th century we mm-hmm. see a divide in india between north indian hindustani music mm-hmm. or sometimes called rajasthan music because of the area called rajasthan mm-hmm. and southern indian music which is carnatic music um from karnataka the two are quite similar in many respects they're practiced differently but they do share mm-hmm. certain similarities one of them is this concept of sangeet so music in India is made up of three components there are the lyrics there is the actual sound the sonic component of music Mm -hmm. and then there's dance and that's a really important thing that that the overall concept of music as a as an art and scientific form links the sonic element the sound element to the poetry mm-hmm. to movement mm-hmm. and all three that you can have each individually as well but Sangeet is made up of the practice of all three so that that's that's the underlying philosophy behind it mm. um, now we were talking about transcendental right earlier and, and achieving part of this is in the actual philosophy of Indian music so Indian music specifically divides itself into two philosophies mm-hmm. um, these are respectively called ahad and anahad right ahad specifically is the physical properties um, that make up the sound that we hear right? in mm-hmm. western philosophy we call that basically acoustics right acoustics which is a branch of physics right it's a way of understanding how sounds are made mm-hmm. so it's all the physical elements that go into it um the tones that are produced when I'm oh let's see if this works. <laughs> when I'm producing a sound here, right? Um, the actual sound that's being produced, the timbre, the pitches, you can hear that this one is lower than this one, this is louder, and this is softer. These are various harmonies. <laughs> all of that, the science of understanding that
3: mm-hmm.
0: um, is is the branch of physics that we call acoustics, right? How we also hear it, and in Indian classical music we call that ahad but there's another branch that's really important and that's the anahad and the anahad is taking the ahad taking those physical components
3: mm-hmm.
0: and achieving some kind of spiritual ascendance that allows people to get to the emotional core of the music
1: in western classical music I've heard a few examples of you know, before, way back in the day when people were first listening to orchestras, you could move people too much and it would cause a bit of disruption, <laughs> yeah. mm. right? Like Maybe they didn't have a name for what or a value associated with yeah. what so, emotion you stir in your audience,
0: but... Uh. Yeah, do you know what? There has always been a component of all music. I think it's, it's quite codified uh-huh. in Indian music because we have that distinction between Ahad and Anahad. And, and mm-hmm. there is a emphasis when you are performing and when you are playing. There is a heavy emphasis on achieving and mm-hmm. right. like, that is the goal whereas
1: is there a bad version of that though like the equivalent is, of listening absolutely. to rock music and like being compelled to do <laughs> bad things you, <laughs> know, you know
0: what is
1: there yeah, is there,
0: there a good and there are scientific yeah. studies that are also done right uh, um certain styles of music can compel people to to perform certain ways or, or do certain things um mm-hmm. I mean I guess a clockwork orange is kind of a testament to the to the negativity of Beethoven's Symphony Number no. 9 for anyone who's mm. watched the movie Yes, yeah um, But it, it's interesting because let's say even as probably the earliest documentation we have of this is with the ancient Greeks so if we go back and we look at, at mm. ancient Greek writing now let's look at someone like um, Aristoxenus. So Aristoxenus codified various elements of music theory. It's some of the oldest Writings and music theory that we have.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And he wrote down the different modes that are available and he actually created like a, a, um, a platform of music theory.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So that would be all of those things that we we're talking about earlier, the, the acoustical elements, the, the ahith part of, of theory. But then when we look at the philosophy that the Greeks attach to it, we can read something like in Plato's Republic, he talks about the ethos, Right, which is it, um, ethos is, is the, um, the mood
3: mm.
0: and and it's so funny to read uh, Plato because Plato actually talks about musicians needing to be um, ethically superior in some way or, or, or ethically mm. extremely well grounded because they have the capacity the right to command people's emotions and and he actually mm-hmm. talks about you know that the non-ethical musician will can compel someone to commit murder by the notes that they choose to play um oh. or they can bring someone's mood down or, or they can they can make someone fall in love so there mm-hmm. was there was something of a of a requirement for musicians especially they seem to place a lot of emphasis on music uh they talked about drama as well um and rhetoric right which is which is Later became poetry, but the art of, mm-hmm. of speaking and and um, compelling people. But they talk specifically about music, and I said play to the public about this idea that that music can really change someone's mm-hmm. entire state of being to being to being frantic or to being extremely calm. Uh, and because of that, the Greeks even classified music. As both a science it was in the category of science along with Mm -hmm. mathematics and astronomy um, and an art it was one of the very few disciplines that they actually thought covered both spectrums because you had to have the acoustics of the Mm -hmm. of the physical side of understanding the universe to be able to command the artistic side
1: so what is the place that you that Indian classical music aspires to take you to
3: I think if that you're varies. doing it right
0: <laughs> yeah <you're>, good <laughs> question I think that varies depending on what the performer wishes to bring out in their audience so you
1: put yourselves in their hands
0: you then, in a way you yeah. do as an audience you do you are trusting the performer mm-hmm. to take you on this journey and great performers that's what they do mm-hmm. right they take you on essentially a journey now um How do they do that? Isn't that a fantastic question? Well, that's years of study, right, to do that. And they have, because as I said, there there is a scientific component to it. There is that aha, there is that study. Um, There are certain approaches that Indian classical music takes uh, that can help performers bring that into their audience. Mm -hmm. But of course, it also relies on the audience being open Mm -hmm. to receiving that um and that's what the that's what the years of training goes into
1: in experiencing um some of your favorite artists this is a personal question yeah <laughs> where where do you go to or where do you like to be taken to when or have you experienced this I
0: have I have yeah. I have exper- experienced it regularly I actually I just heard a wonderful I feel uh, like
1: it wouldn't be hard
0: <laughs> no and, and you for know, you? I think, I think <laughs> Part of it also comes from as, as a musician, mm. you generally tend to be more open to letting yourself experience that. You right. mm-hmm. understand
1: music on a different level too when you produce it, I would imagine. Yeah, I,
0: th- yeah. I think you do. I think it also makes you sometimes cynical though, right? Like, or, or more critical because you're, listen- mm-hmm. you're you know, listening. My, my classic thing is you ever go to a concert, you can always tell who the undergrads are because they've got their scores out. Ah. like and and they're following Mm. along the score right like somehow this is going to make them a better musician to follow along the score as the artist is playing on on stage Mm -hmm. um but you know there is um in order to perform to really perform you have to let yourself go to the music that is you have to let the music to some degree take over your emotional state at that time Mm In order to do that as a performer you have to trust your technique is solid enough Mm -hmm. to be able to emotionally respond to what's happening but that's what makes live performance so incredible it's why um you you probably heard right performances that are generated by a computer or by midi they're just not at that level yet where they're responding
1: Hmm.
3: to
0: the emotional feel that you have at that time
1: or watching someone Whenever I see live jazz, especially like I'm always looking at the bass player's face.
0: Oh, and how how much they're into it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I enjoy Um, that. Yeah, and I think that's that's one of the beauties of attending a live performance as opposed Mm. to a recording. A recording is a capture at that moment of something which can still be wonderful and, and, and meaningful, but in a live performance you you can feed off the energy that you're getting in the room you can feed off the the feel that you have in there and as a result change what's happening in the music to match that Now, part of the reason you can do that is because indian classical music is quite improvisatory in its nature right so i mentioned earlier that there's not really a notation that's because there's not a lot to notate Hmm. in indian classical music what do you mean by that? Yeah, so in terms of, of the structure of Indian classical music, what we find is, is we, have, we have scales like we do in the West, right? Mm-hmm. So in the West, if I play a scale, I, I, and I'll just play it here, um, you know, no, I'm going to do it on my violin. I've <laughs> got my violin here and I can do that. All right?
1: So, yes, you can. I
0: know. Ron, <laughs> Thank you. Yes, I can. <laughs> All right. Um, so I'll just, and it's a typical scale in the West, we've got a major scale, which goes mm-hmm. like this. All right? Now, we have that in okay. Indian classical music as well. We actually have that specific scale.
3: Mm. Hmm.
0: Now, in Western music, we use the scale. We basically use it as a basis for coming up with, with compositions that are created and then are replicated and replayed, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right, verbatim, mm-hmm. and, then, and then interpreted. In Indian classical music, the scale is, the, is just the outline of the notes upon which we're going to start placing the emphasis of where we want mm-hmm. to go. All right. Um, so, let's, let's break that down, It's <laughs> a lot of stuff in one. So, in, in Indian classical music, we have a concept of raga. Yeah. Right, which is quite a common term. I think a lot of people um, have maybe heard the term raga, but don't really, and think of it as being scale, but mm-hmm. raga is way more than scale.
1: And since we talked about it first, and I learned the name, I'm seeing it everywhere.
0: Oh. Yeah, oh, right, raga everywhere yeah. that you go, right? Yeah. So, so what is raga? Well, much like like I said, it could be a scale. So let's let's take a raga. I'm just gonna I'm gonna make sure I've got a drone going here, which we'll listen to in a second. But I'll yeah. take a raga, and this is going to be Yaman. This is the raga Yaman, um, which is is similar to the scale that I just played, the major scale. It's actually it's the Lydian mode, which we use in Western music as well. It's mm-hmm. it's this. tone there. Right? And it's got that little uh, right. fluctuation which is a little bit unusual. Now, as I said, we do definitely have that in the West. Um, if you know this, again, I hope I'm not breaking copyright, uh, <laughs> is, is based on that ah, interesting. scale, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. The Simpsons theme is based on that scale. Uh, West Side Story, Maria, is... is also based on that on that scale Mm -hmm. so we do use it um, but when it comes to the Raga that the scale that that particular those notes are just the basis upon which we'll start exploring the music Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then it's it's at the interpretation of the performer to come up with how to set it in order to create that, transcendental, uh, that, that transcendence in the audience, right? So, that sounds very lofty. I can't so, believe I just heard
1: <laughs> the Simpsons theme uh, on the violin.
3: Oh, right, yeah, yeah.
1: You amazing. made it sound so nice. <laughs> yeah.
0: Okay, so let's see, what, yeah. what's that rea- in reality sound like? So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna, I have here um, a drone going, okay? Now, what this is, this is a Tantora drone. I'm, I'm sorry, can you actually hear me over the drone in the, in the mix? Yeah. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, So this is a tampura drone, which is which is plucked. It's a plucked instrument. I don't have a live tampura here. Come awesome. on. Right? <laughs> right. Next up, we'll just bring an entire Indian band over. I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a drone. And this drone is doing nothing more than just orienting a pitch. It's not... We don't really have a sense of harmony like we do in the West. Um, in the West, we have various notes chords. that can combine and create chords. Yeah. Exactly. There's not really that. Mm. Um, it's a lot more monophonic in its structure, meaning that it's just um, notes that are worked out. Now, let's take that rag that I talked about, which was a rag yaman, which is quite a popular rag. And let's say we just want to start, and we'll just start with this. just exploring notes mm-hmm. and it's just getting infections in the tones. There, there are some patterns that you learn over time and, and that are taught over time that have certain emotional qualities over others, mm-hmm. like in this raga it's quite common to do this. That kind of the sliding figure in this mm-hmm. in this raga is supposed to have a very emotional quality to it. Um,
1: so, when you are replicating a raga...
0: Right, I'm just going to pause that. There's actually kind of like a nice little bit of music in the background. Yeah, yeah. Right. nice, actually. <laughs> we have a massage place. Uh,
1: <laughs> no, I'm like, I don't, I don't even want to talk, I just want to listen. When, so you mentioned this raga has this sky, sliding scale, is this where the, the, the memory of the intention of the song comes through then? It does. Is this, so what would I hum to you if I were to teach you this raga?
0: <laughs> you, you what you would be in order to learn this what you have to learn is what's the what's the purpose and now let's get mm. back to what's the purpose of music right <laughs> can, wow. we, can we cover that yeah. <laughs> right but but why why are we performing this now yeah each of these rags, each of these ragas they have different connotations so rag yaman um specifically is an evening rag. so it's designed to be performed in the evening right hmm. and it's supposed to be a contemplative rag it performed in the early evening so right as the sun sets in the first it's called the first quarter of the night or evening right and there's interesting that different the times of day yeah, because
1: it's meant for a certain time a certain mm-hmm. mood
0: right and to evoke certain moods and now depending on what you're playing within the rag you evoke certain moods right? is it raga meant for a that?
1: certain audience
0: well i think the idea is that eventually the audience lets go hmm they will feel these emotions because because the acoustics of what we're doing mm-hmm. is able to help them transcend
2: so it's more likely two-way communication right. not just listening
0: exactly People, so. now obviously the more an audience is exposed mm-hmm. to this the easier it is for them to let go mm. right because initially they may be drawn to the sounds they may be just drawn to the um to the sonic quality of that tempora they're not really letting go of the music because they're, they're, they're fascinated mm-hmm. by certain things that they're hearing here and there. Right? The sitar, the, the, the slide, mm-hmm. all of that. So their attention is being distracted by the novelty. It's almost like the
1: practice of meditation
0: in it itself. Is. Right? Right? It's it easier is when
1: the neural pathway is there, it's easier mm-hmm. to get back into. The, right.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's a bit like, I, I mean, you know, and there's a reason that it, it relates to often things like yoga. Right when you're first doing yoga, about the only thing you can focus on is the pose and yeah. how much your body hurts. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Until you come to a point when you can actually focus on the breathing, mm. the mind. What are you focusing on? You're mm. no longer focusing on, oh, is my pose here perfect? Is this there? You're able right. To, Am I
1: doing the right thing?
0: Am yeah. Right. You're able to now start channeling you're the focused, way, the, and intent, you're using the intent, the
1: intent right. of
0: the practice. Wow. Yeah. So, so that's, that's where we hmm. want to eventually go,
2: right? Does what is the, what is the purpose you? of music? Yeah, I'm still asking <laughs> oh. the question. What is the purpose uh. of the music?
0: I'm going to put my volume down for should this. You,
2: <laughs> should you give your answer, your version of answer, my own version of answers? Sure. Why don't you start, Jen? I want to, I'm very engineering. Um, the world is very random and chaos, I can say. But then, when people make music with uh, the the changing of a stuff or changing of the wave or air, and make a link between each other to eventually make a flow of a sound wave, mm. that's, that's just amazing, I think. So I, I like propose is um, Be amazed. Part of the change <laughs> <laughs> Part of changing the world. Wow. I can say, or I don't know if it's. I, I,
3: I love
0: that because I, you. I do think, <laughs> yeah. I want, yes. no, I do think there is an element of art. Mm. This is
1: how the hippie movement started. There's
0: <laughs> yeah. no, it's, it's three people sitting around the radio show. <laughs> <just> talking.
1: <laughs> Change the world.
0: Mm. But but it is. I love I that think answer. That the, that yeah. the purpose of art, ultimately, if you were to dist- distill it down to a very, very simple concept, it is to make the world a slightly more beautiful place. Mm. Right? Now, how does it do that I think and and I'll I don't think music is alone here I think when we're talking about artistic expression Mm -hmm. the function of artistic expression in my mind is the ability to fuel the creative imagination of people whether that be towards creation Mm -hmm right for those actually creating art or whether that be experiential for those who are actually experiencing art
3: Mm.
0: and feeling that emotional connection Mm. that relates them to their imagination and that helps us escape that that escape Mm -hmm. is an important part of our ability to be able to transcend materialism and I think that's the beauty of Mm -hmm. art Right? Mm-hmm. It's why a beautiful sculpture is moving. It's why when you see an art piece, you know. Um, I was talking to someone recently. I was talking about impressionist art, and I said, "I don't know. It's so cliché because I, I see impressionist art all the time, but <laughs> yet, when I'm sitting, when I'm standing there in front of some of those Monet paintings, and of course, there's the, there's the size of them as yeah. well, whole
1: rooms. Yeah, yeah, but
0: there there is something that just it in, in that brief moment I leave the world and to, and, to, um, <laughs> and to quote and I can't remember who I'm quoting here shoot but mm-hmm. to quote someone I can feel the world temporarily spin underneath my feet
1: mm-hmm. I'm, I'm googling it
0: <laughs> you should look I, it's, it's, a, it's a novel I'm trying to remember I, it was a beautiful and I read that passage and that's again the beauty of, of literature Mm-hmm. Right? great literature which can which can just completely fuel your imagination <laughs> sorry Did you find the, that
1: the, the search came up saying feeling dizzy several reasons why you <laughs> <laughs> could be feeling like
0: <laughs> yeah oh I breakfast that day that I was looking
2: at those paintings no
1: th- I think that is that is a really accurate way to describe that feeling it's
0: okay.
2: your version at least
1: and,
0: and it doesn't and we have to emphasize mm-hmm. that art doesn't have to always just be about beauty mm-hmm. um I I say making the world a more beautiful place, but I don't mean literally physically beautiful because sometimes art can be to provoke, Mm. right? It can be to challenge Mm. and it should be. In fact, a lot of um, political movements find a supporting basis for them through the arts, right? A lot of political Mm -hmm. stances are actually made through the arts so there is an importance to that. Mm. Um, And I think any tradition around the world, whether it be Indian, whether it be Indian classical tradition or Western music, or if we look um, at at Chinese music and we look at some of the beautiful music that comes from China or from Brazil, we often find that there is a political ideology as well that this music is either supporting or revolting against. Mm -hmm. And the clearest example of that for most Westerners, is perhaps Russia during the 1930s, 40s, and 50s. Hmm.
1: That's another show. <laughs> that, that's another show? Oh, wouldn't that
0: be fantastic?
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. We'll have you back.
0: <laughs> we can talk about politics and music. Mm-hmm. I never have Listen. to worry
1: about, you know, is he going to talk enough on the show? Do we, oh <laughs> do we have enough content? Do we have enough content? I love listening to you, though, because you are, yeah. your enthusiasm... Just sucks me in. It makes me oh, forget gosh. that I am supposed to be asking
0: <laughs> questions. Is, right? And music is about experiences. And going back yeah. to the concept of dance, like we can. Music is related to so many things. I did say political movements, but let's look at something like the Navajo tribe. Right. Mm-hmm. So the Navajo tribe of the of the lo, um, local indigenous people. For them, music also forms part of the medicinal practice. So in part of their treatment,
3: mm. Mm. they it's actually healing.
0: look at integrating music mm. into that and that's been done for, for, for years, for, for centuries we're just starting to do that in Western practice with music therapy Yeah. but they've been doing it for centuries because for them medicine is directly linked um, or I should say healing rather, mm. is directly linked to some kind of a divide between the person and nature,
1: and the natural world,
3: mm-hmm. yeah.
0: And in order to bridge that divide, music is one of the most natural oh. ways to do that. Mm-hmm. So of course, music becomes part of the healing process. Mm-hmm.
1: It's definitely stress relieving.
0: Yeah, it can be right <laughs> yeah, for some people. Be. It can be for others. I mean, especially if you're a musician having to learn a piece, it can be extremely stressful. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, but, um, but yeah, it's just how we experience music. And and there is there is a universality to music in the sense that there are... I, I do genuinely believe there is always some music that someone can find a relation with.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, sometimes I talk to people. I've actually met a few people who've said, like, I don't, I don't like music. And I'm like, what mm-hmm. do you mean? Like, you don't like country? You don't like R&B? No, just...
0: Generally, they don't like music. And I just
1: look at them like,
0: what? <laughs> what happened to your soul? Are you no. okay? <laughs>
3: no, really. No.
0: Um, it's, a, it's a bit of a shame, right? When, when we hear that, uh, because essentially, I guess I, I would interpret that mm-hmm. to mean that they haven't yet found
3: mm-hmm.
0: a connection with music.
3: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yet,
0: yeah, yet, yeah. 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 And I would say yet, and that's a bit of a shame. It, um, because they're missing out on such a wonderful experience. Mm-hmm. And we notice, I'd say I music, more people seem to find a connection with quite quickly, primarily because our auditory senses are not as well developed as our visual senses or mm. our taste senses. Mm. Right. So we can be a little more abstract with our ears. Right? So to, to find things that we relate to. Whereas visual art, yes, because we take things so literally with our eyes,
2: mm-hmm.
0: I, can, I can imagine that there are some people who still haven't found visual art that appeals to them.
2: Mm. Well, I guess it's the same as when you taste something. Some people like this, some people doesn't like this. And it transforms taste you. As, yeah, it does for me. Same as, uh, <laughs> yeah, the same. it does, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And, and here's the thing about music, though. Let's, let's equate it to taste, mm-hmm. right? As I mentioned earlier, what we're working with is the same, right? I can take this. Ooh, let's have music. <laughs> going. I can take this scale. Um, okay, I'm going to try this. I don't know if this is actually going to work, but I can take this,
3: right? Which is
0: a pentatonic scale, um, and it's it's remarkable because there are so many traditions around the world that can use this single scale. In in India we use it for one of our ragas. Um, It's very frequently found in um, Chinese music. We frequently find it being used in in folk music of the Far East. We find it being used in folk music of of Ireland and... and, and, um, Yeah, totally. We find it being used in, in so many different traditions so
1: why do you notes, think there why do you think they develop parallel in different right, parts you
0: know, of the world There are only so many notes right there only so many things notes. that sound it's, pleasing it's, to the ear it's a bit like saying well it, what it is what makes it different is all it's the way in which you interpret those notes and you set them right and it's like food if I if I say well let's take the most probably the most um, widely spread staple food around Mm -hmm. the world is rice right and you go to an Indian restaurant the experience you have with rice may be biryani you go to a South Indian restaurant Mm -hmm. it may be a dosa Mm -hmm. you go to um, a Far Eastern restaurant I say you go to a Chinese restaurant you have various ways in which they cook the rice which is just completely different it's still rice Mm -hmm. (laughs) well right there's different types of rice but there Mm -hmm. are right but and that's exactly it Right? There are all different types of rice and there are different ways in which we can set that rice.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what it is. You're blowing right? my that's mind. That's what we're doing with music. Sorry?
1: I said you're blowing my mind right now. <laughs>
0: <Okay>. <laughs> right? And it's, rice is one thing. We have noodles. We have all the vegetables mm-hmm. that we have. <laughs> right? Now, of course, there's spices that they're using that are all regional flavors, and those have developed over time. Mm -hmm. Now that eventually makes a culture, Mm -hmm. right? A culture is also partly defined by its cuisine. Culture is also partly uh, um, defined by its music and its art. Mm -hmm. That's one of the beauties of culture, is that culture relies on art because the most significant part of the culture is the imagination that that culture exhibits.
1: Mm. It's its expression it through is. art and its stamp on a time period right. in that mm-hmm. culture. And yeah. So let's talk about, oh man, <laughs> I don't want to end, but let's talk about um, how this influence bled over to the West in in the movement, the hippie movement. Why did it become such a popular influence at that time? Like, why Indian music, classical mm-hmm. music?
0: Mm-hmm. Was it so the spiritual?
1: Why? concept that
0: do you know it, it's interesting so why why did Indian classical music come up
3: yeah. mm-hmm. right
0: how did it come up and and what um, what what eventually and how has it been used since mm-hmm. well let, let's let's I think the reason it came is there's a there's a few mm-hmm. I think number one culturally West and let's let's be very specific about what, what we're talking about in the West we're talking primarily about North America and England
3: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: right mm-hmm. primarily that culture in the West in the 50s and 60s was one of the post-Second World War mm-hmm. um, after a Korean War after the Vietnam War right but coming in from a time when there was already a fair amount of Eastern exploration mm-hmm. right and a lot of dissent Among the youth at the time, for what they considered a type of essentially um, colonialism, right Right. by by the approach of the wars. Yes. Um, So that's that's let's say one thing, and and I'll come back to that. I think there's another element that's really important, which is that actually Indian classical music, and we're talking specifically about Indian classical music, had one slight boom to it in the 1800s and early 1900s which was British imperialism the fact that the British were in rule Mm. in India Uh, and it's a very contentious point to talk about it because as a result of the British rule there were a lot of our traditions that were lost in India for sure
3: Mm.
0: Um, and actually the British initially were very hesitant to embrace traditional practices in India they wanted to kind of eradicate them Mm. But what we start noticing by the end of the 19th century and coming into the early 20th century is that there is an appetite um, both from some of the British settlers who are now becoming second generation, third generation people living in India to learn about the vast history and culture in India. Mm -hmm. Now I don't know if that was partly profitable because they're finding relics and there was a time when it was really, I'm not entirely sure about that. But you mean to sell that. souvenirs? Yeah. And, and then the other side is, of course, the beautiful part about... Uh, I said beautiful is a really bad word to use when we're talking about imperialism. Um, <laughs> but, but the neat part, I would say, about imperialism is that it opened India to all the British... Um, or to the entire British Empire colonies. So you start getting these... Indian classical musicians who are traveling to England, mm-hmm. who are traveling to Australia, who are traveling to Canada, mm-hmm. and able to start spreading the music, which mm-hmm. was otherwise till then extremely localized,
2: mm. right?
0: Right? And you start having British subjects who pick up on that, and then coming and studying in India. Now, one of the one of the pro- most prominent to do that in the fifties was the violinist Yehudi Menuhin.
3: Yes. Yeah.
0: Um, who actually I, I did have the pleasure of meeting Yehudi Menuhin right before he passed away. Um, and he's he's one of the most prominent violinists of the 20th century, and also I I, I must say one of the most genuine, caring individuals um, that that I, I I think I've ever met. And I I marvel at the fact that this is you know this this is an artist of, uh, that we talk about, you know, those virtuosos who were only born every two, three hundred years. This is the kind of artist we're talking about. And he was so down to earth. Mm. One of the things was he was a child prodigy. And I think, I was reading an interview, um, or sorry, I was reading a, um, an article that was written about Menuhin of, of someone who used to spend a lot of time with him. He was saying, and, and Menuhin was the child prodigy who never wanted to be a prodigy. He just wanted to have a normal childhood. Mm. Um, And so, later in his life, I think Menuhin was extremely drawn to, for lack of a better term, the simplicity of Indian classical music. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that, it's, it's not simplicity in the sense of the music being simple, but the idea that... We don't need any kind of complex uh, orchestral structures and you don't need to do all of this. You just need to make music. The simplest the simplicity and the philosophy mm.
1: and the intention of, has it's to just be fun. pure. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's just we are just we're just trying to make music that makes the world more beautiful. Mm. And I think he was extremely drawn to that. Now part of that was also he started embracing yogi philosophy and uh, and he was really one of the first artists to go spend an extended amount of time in India
3: yeah.
0: and as a result of that, he started bringing uh, artists with him back to the west mm. to perform and Now one of those artists was probably one of the most famous artists to come from India and, and, and perform around the west was Ravi Shankar the the, the sitar player. Um,
1: why was he so popular and how? why has he become so famous? Well, above I think anyone else is it?
0: Yeah, I think partly because he was very good mm-hmm. at going out and performing. Mm-hmm. He was very open to the idea of performing with Western artists and, and, and mm-hmm. working with and them. Collaborating. And yeah. collaborating and coming up with new ways to integrate
3: mm-hmm.
0: Western instruments into mm-hmm. Indian music. And he was quite open to doing that I think there's another side which is he is a phenomenal musician he is an extremely well uh, what we would call well learned musician Like he knows his material extremely well he's able to, to to apply it at a very high level I think another side of that is he's able to actually teach it he was able to teach it at a very very high level um, now, I don't have any first-hand experience with that, unfortunately, but just oh. yeah, the people who he... I thought
1: that was your next... Has, and I, and when with. I got to meet him... Yeah, no, you know
0: unfortunately, together. never. I never got to meet him. I never, I've never even actually heard, unfortunately, Ravi Shankar perform live. Mm. Um, but I think he was able to relate the concepts and the theory very well to other people to other musicians who were then able to embrace it and start applying it. So that's how we start seeing it um, coming up in the West. Now, the most, the the largest boom for Indian classical music in the West did come from the Beatles. Right, Mm -hmm. Right. there
1: was this romanticism of escaping to India as well, you know, and (laughs) escaping the fame and going to a place where you wouldn't be recognized or where fame
0: didn't matter. Well, that was, and that was the idea of the escape to the Ashram. Right. right. That was the idea of the escape to the Ashram.
1: Leonard Cohen um, did similar right. things. Um, and,
0: and the Beatles, right? They, all of them went. Right. Um, and um, they, they went with, uh, with uh, the actress, Mia Farrow.
1: That's right. Yeah, there's whole conspiracy around Mira, yeah. right? And
0: and that well, you're right. It was a fad also at the time to go to the ashram to a, to attain spiritual enlightenment.
1: Right. Just um, like in the sixties, it was cool to have a bunch of Japanese fans in your mm-hmm. living room, or you know what I
0: mean? Exactly. Well, there was there was a whole move towards embracing Eastern yeah philosophy, and as I said, part of that comes from the simplicity. Now, the Beatles wa- were uh, particularly George Harrison, right? George Harrison just totally became enamored by indian music mm. uh initially it was actually the, the sound of the sitar the, the story goes that they were um they were shooting that film in 1965 um oh good you can look it up um, um, the film that they started in 1965 and, and in that film there's a scene that's in a restaurant help mm-hmm. yeah help exclamation point help exclamation mm-hmm.
3: point right. yeah
0: um and there's a scene in an indian restaurant and so they had a band in the background mm. that was part of this scene and mm. as they were waiting around the band was warming up and george harrison just became entranced by the sitar
3: mm. so
0: right. fast forward starts getting interested more and more and it starts taking lessons meet uh-huh. Shankar starts getting right. more interested in learning more about the philosophy and he was one who really embraced it out of all four of them john lennon did as well to a degree mm. i think Ringo Starr and Paul McCartney were a little bit. they different. were like,
1: can we get out of here? Based on what I've read, I don't know. Yeah, I that's mean, what I—that's what I've read too. Yeah. yeah. Um, but George. But George kind of see. defined himself around that spirituality, yeah. and as the Beatles disbanded, that was,
0: it was. the difference. It became his his yeah. his method of living, and sure. like I said, we also start noticing in John Lennon some of the lyrics that he's that he's trying to incorporate, even just some of the unusual meters. If we look at a song like. Um, Uh, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds or or, um, Here Comes the Sun Mm
3: -hmm. which has
0: a really unusual metric scheme that's that's actually quite reminiscent it's a 5-4 and 4-4 which is a Mm. 9 and it's quite reminiscent of Indian rhythmic schemes which I realised we haven't talked about and that's fascinating in itself (laughs) Uh. (laughs) right? because uh, we only talked about the melody in Indian music but the the, the rhythm is something that's completely different Mm. now, interestingly can I sidetrack to the rhythm now? Like, do we, we need to take a music break or?
1: <laughs> we're almost out of time. Yeah. What? I know I know. Maybe okay, so let's introduce the song we're gonna play for our outro. Okay. and it's the Beatles outro. The outro. <laughs>
2: I know. first and last.
1: But <laughs> um I wish. The Beatles within you without you. All um, oh, right. And why don't we preface it by explaining some of mm-hmm. what's going on in this song? Yeah. And then we will leave the show, and then we will promptly have you back in <laughs> another episode. Oh, we'll have to come
3: back
0: just, just to talk about rhythm, right? <laughs> yes, I feel, yes, I feel like I've <laughs> let my entire country down.
1: <laughs> don't worry, this is only part 1A of... Yeah. dance,
0: yeah. and...
2: Dancing.
3: Yes.
0: Um, no, you know what? What's, what's amazing, and mm. why it's so significant, a piece, is because it's not that Indian classical music wasn't somehow being influenced in other music at the time. We, we can talk. Norwegian wood uh, actually mm-hmm. precedes this, but mm-hmm. it was always just used as a color, as as um, as something that added an element of at that time what was called Orientalism to the music. I was just
1: going to say, yeah, right, which like
0: the background of Orientalism, right, people which were... which was which was superficial. Yep. It was a superficial way of looking at music. It's like how
1: people get Chinese symbol tattoos.
0: Exactly, right? Which they yeah. don't even know what it means. Yeah. Or, they, or they, they know what they it means. They think it looks but cool.
3: cool. Yeah, right.
0: right. Yeah, Get right? um, <laughs> yeah, but but all the cultural appropriation. That was actually embracing the structures and the sound. So there, is, so there is a raga in here, and it's combined. You have a full Indian band. You have your, your sitar, you have your tabla, you have your tampura drone going you also have a 12-piece orchestra mm. as part of this song and they're combined that the orchestra is playing the raga
1: that's right that is
0: making up part of this song um it
1: starts raga only and then orchestra And, and comes actually in. and it's,
0: it even uses the structure of indian classical music which is we get that drone going we have um a typical what i played earlier would have been called an alap which is where you're just warming up to the notes mm-hmm. that are making up the raga. So you're just making people aware.
1: This is that ideas,
0: you're kind of warming up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're warming up the audience to mm-hmm. what they are, and then after that you get into the jod, mm-hmm. which starts getting more rhythmic, and you start adding those rhythmic elements. Mm-hmm. And you'll hear that in this song. The structure is there as well. Then, um, even just the title, right? Like we're talking about, within you, without you, the the, the um. That 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 okay. concept of of um, transcendence that we're talking about, right? And the lyrics themselves go towards that. This is this is not a materialistic song, mm-hmm. right? Um, so all of that you can start hearing in this song. And it, like I said, it was um, there were there only three underlying songs that the Beatles did, but this was really one of the first songs that mm-hmm. actually genuinely embraced. Mm-hmm indian mm. classical philosophy and music and try to integrate it with western concepts
1: so let's okay. go into thank you we have to go into our outro thank you so much for joining us again bringing all your instruments for the right. two minutes that we got to hear them and totally worth it i've got to tell you guys though, it. Like, yeah. <laughs> it was worth wow. it and uh we will be back next week with another episode of lisa in wonderland mm-hmm. thank you for listening